And welcome to episode 83 of the Retrospectors podcast, The Typing of the Dead. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, James Sterlings. James, I'm the one who's picked the weird game this fortnight. Normally, the dynamic on our show is you pick weird games no one's ever heard of, and I pick the mainstream games that everyone's heard of. Had you heard of Typing of the Dead before I suggested it for the show? Yeah, I definitely heard of this game before. I don't think it's as obscure as you're suggesting. Um, maybe certainly not some as bad as some of the ones I've picked in these last few years. Um, but I've never played it myself. Uh, did you have any experience with the game previously? No, I, I've never played it myself, but it's one I've been wanting to do for a long time. As I said on the last show, I kind of love typing games. You know, those edutainment games that used to be on the old PCs at school. And even just like random typing games on websites like neopets all all those kind of things it's kind of funny playing a game that um the main premise is improving like a somewhat useful skill that can be used outside of the sphere of video games um i get like i type every day i'm a programmer and you know i was kind of interested to see how well i'd do on this one because it's a high score game uh, and I spend like 80% of my days typing away at the keyboard. So I was like, surely I'll be really good at this. Well, one of the interesting things about typing as a skill is it's actually become becoming used less and less amongst quite young people because of the advent of touch screens. Like uh, I've interacted with a lot of kids who basically don't know how to touch type, but they are absolute wizards with uh, controlling touch screens. A lot of monitors nowadays are dual function uh, touchscreen monitors. And so they'll go onto these PCs and they won't even look at the keyboard and their hands will be sliding over the screen like uh, like maniacs. And I'm like, how can that possibly be more comfortable or user-friendly than just using a keyboard? But, you know, maybe I'm just getting old, James. Imagine when these kids get their office jobs later in life, they'll uh, a bit, they'll be wishing uh, they had spent a bit more time with a great game. Like yeah, this. well, well, maybe or maybe offices will just have to adapt to everyone being wizards at touchscreen e- technology. Everyone just sitting at their desk with their phone. Yeah, or or you know, just big big touchscreen computers. I don't know. Jesus. Well, yeah, it, oh, I hate. That. It is kind of alien because yeah, for <laughs> you and I, touch typing and typing is such a essential skill that we use growing up. So. I don't know, maybe this is a game whose relevance depends greatly on what era you come from. Well, maybe in a few years we'll be saying this game doesn't stand the test of time because uh, <laughs> keyboards, who has one of those? Yeah, we'll be reviewing Fruit Ninja soon. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. So um, for those who haven't listened to us before, James and I make up the Retrospectors podcast. Um, each and every fortnight we play through classic games of the past to determine if they're true classics that are worth your time to play today or if they're complete garbage um or you know some sometimes something in between critically we're not really interested in how good these games were at the time in which they were released this is not a nostalgia podcast james and i played these games this fortnight and we're going to review them entirely on the basis of the experience we had playing through them today so yeah, that's the show, and we hope you enjoy. Um, so, Typing of the Dead. I'm sure, for those who've never heard of this before, it was developed by WoW Entertainment, which is a subsidiary of Sega, and it was first released in Japanese arcades in 1999. 
and I mean that when I say it was released in Japanese arcades. So it was originally based off a light gun shooter game called House of the Dead 2, which is probably one of the most famous light gun shooters of all time. And it's been credited along with Resident Evil as one of the big things that saw the resurgence of um, of the zombie genre, you know, in video games and movies and TV series and so on. So House of the Dead 2 came out in 1997, and then two years later, you got the typing of the dead exclusively in arcades at that time, right down to the keyboard controller. So if you walked into a Japanese arcade, you would see the keyboard attached to this arcade machine, and that's how you would play it. It was so popular that it later saw ports to Windows, Dreamcast, and PlayStation 2, and then down down the track, things like iOS. Um, so it's it's very similar to the original House of the Dead 2. They're both rail shooters. You're both um, your perspective is automatically moving towards the next area when you defeat all enemies. There are slight differences, you know, differences in enemy layouts and things like that. But it pretty much strides the line pretty close to a mod. Like it, it's really not that radically different. So it's a remake or a, or a mod of the original House of the Dead 2. The basic idea is that you play as James, who's some kind of agent, and you move your way through the Italian streets in the midst of a zombie outbreak. You're murdering all the zombies on your way to track down the person responsible. And the game takes place over six chapters, all of which end in a boss fight. The thing which makes this a typing game and not your regular gun game is that the way you're killing the zombies is you're typing words that appear on your screen. So what will happen is you'll get to the uh, the screen will pop up. There'll be three zombies ahead of you. And on top of each zombie zombie will be a word or a phrase that you need to type in to defeat them. So it might be silly sailor. Every letter that you type is a bullet that you're shooting at the zombie. So you type in silly sailor, and when you put in the last keystroke, the zombie explodes and dies. And then you can move on to the next key phrase, which is on top of the zombie. When you eliminate all the zombies, the screen moves on to the next screen. So it's all about rapidly typing those phrases before zombies come and attack you. And you've got a limited amount of time before they do attack you and you lose a life. Anything I'm missing, James? Do you think that gets to the heart of it? That's about it. You know, it's a pretty standard horror-themed rail shooter on top of that. The typing gameplay, you know, your character's moving around the streets and zombies are bursting out of doors and then the camera sweeps around and there's another three behind you, that kind of thing. Sometimes zombies throw weapons at you um, and you need to abandon the phrase you're typing to quickly stop the knife that's going for your head, that kind of thing. And, you know, throughout the level, there are all kinds of little... Um, pickups that you can find if you're quick enough. Um, the only other main thing to note is that I think a lot of the levels have, um, they're, they're, they're not completely linear. If you are able to um, kill certain zombies that are attacking key NPCs, they might open a gate for you um, or something like that, and you'll end up going down a branching path. So um, it is a bit different. And I think something also key to note is that every time you replay the level, um, lots of the phrases that you encounter are semi-randomized, um, so you can't just memorize the the phrases for each, you know, every single enemy to get a perfect score. Yeah, that that's a really good point. So the game takes about an hour or so to blaze through. I probably did the equivalent of five to seven full playthroughs of the game, 
And I would say by playthrough five or six, I started to see some repeated phrases, but the dictionary here is large enough that it's basically impossible to treat this with any kind of memorization unless you're a speedrunner looking to optimize just memorize an entire dictionary worth of words you do need to uh, be able to you know identify the words react to the words and type them as you go mm-hmm. um so, so just briefly for how we played the game this is an abandonware game yes patrick yeah so i found the pc copy um on abandonware uh there's no way to purchase the original uh typing of the dead on um on pc anymore there's no no shop fronts that sell it you can purchase typing of the dead overkill which is a sequel um and if you could find an original copy for the Dreamcast or PlayStation 2, you could play it that way. But um I have no guilt playing games that are abandonware, just like with No One Lives Forever. I had no guilt this time. So um yeah, we, we just downloaded it uh from uh abandonware.com. It's pretty easy to find that link to try out this game if you're interested. Yeah, and it's not too difficult to get running on even like Windows 10. Um there is a bit you do have to set the compatibility mode, and I did personally find that uh Windows is a piece of shit. And if you have ever changed your locale or your language settings on your PC before ever, say you often type in a second language or something like that, Windows actually never forgives you for that and the game won't open. So uh, you have to install a specific program to force um, the US locale into the game when you open it. I'll leave a link to that as well in the show notes. It's super easy to get set up as well. Other than that, I didn't have any technical issues with the game. Yeah, for me, it was just running it in compatibility mode and then um, and then running as administrator and it worked fine. Uh, I did have a few audio glitches throughout, but I'm pretty sure that's like hard-coded to the game itself rather than being a problem with like you know, it running on Windows, Windows 10. It's just that the game is a little, uh, a little buggy. Uh, but for the most part, yeah, it worked flawlessly for me, mostly from start to finish. Yeah, and as one final note, I would recommend you, before you do anything... Turn the sound down? Yeah, turn the sound down the <laughs> second the game opens because it is perfectly silent um, until you press start, which and the start sound is a gunshot that is very loud um, if you haven't turned the, the sound down. Uh, my ears were ringing for minutes after that. Okay. So Someone may as well be shooting a gun next to your ear. That's how loud yeah, it is. Yeah, it was really bad. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, James, I think we'll start with the story and everything in relationship to the story that we normally do. Um, so I'm not going to beat around the bush here, James. This is an absolute masterpiece, yeah. Hey. Uh, I mean, funnily enough, <laughs> in some ways it is. I, I assume you've heard the phrase, so bad it's good, right, James? Obviously, yeah. This is yeah. like the definition of that, right? It's the epitome of it. It's the worst story in a game I've ever experienced, and it's also simultaneously the best because it is so atrociously bad. This makes the original Resident Evil story and voice acting look reasonable. This is an atrocity and it's one worth experiencing i think it's so impressive (laughs) i think a large part of it comes down to just how excellent or rather non-existent the direction for the english voice acting is there is just no cohesion it's like they handed out the scripts to people didn't tell them what the game was about didn't show them any of the other lines and just 
asked them to read them like with the flattest weirdest you know intonation possible it just no there is no dialogue in this game that fits what's going on it's so funny so so the interesting thing is it's not just the voice directing it's the script as well like the script and dialogue is awfully written and then on top of it there's the bad voice acting like for example after you know he meets up with his two fellow agents one of the th- and you know that he's been killing zombies left right and center one of the things that the fellow agent says to him is james go and prevent the confusion in the city or when he uh when he kills a returning boss he the the, the quip that he ends the fight with is remember there's no such thing as a second chance <laughs> at like just like completely nonsensical you know quips that make you know leon's quips and resident evil 8 seem once again somewhat reasonable it's well, uh, that boss did say the boss gave me a second chance before you fight it but but do you think it's, it's a thing to say <laughs> remember there's no such thing as a second chance what <laughs> why, why would you say that or or he kills the the fish monster and he goes too bad you're better off that way like just just awful 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 it's so great though. It's like I was laughing like a lot during the, the cutscenes. Um, and thankfully they are skippable too. So once you've got like the full extent of the humor out of them, you don't have to suffer through them uh, every I, time I you think, replay the game. But I think what I'm going to do, James, is I'm going to try to demonstrate the inflection for people who are unaware of it. So here we go. I've got two two scenes I want to reenact. The first one is when you step into the lobby, right? So you step into the lobby, and this is what James says. It's like they're inviting me in. Just completely random inflection on the tones. The second scene is right at the end, which I think is probably the worst voice acting, like the worst scene probably in video game history, where you're confronting the evil guy, and he goes, I've been waiting for you, friends. Goldman! Do you know what you're doing? I'm fully aware of what I'm doing. Can't you see? Just awful, awful, awful. I think you've got it, James. It's like they got people who don't speak English. They've handed them this script and they've basically been told to read each line with zero context from anything else. And then they slapped it all together. <laughs> I um, I was just thinking what I could do is I could edit in some of the voice work so that we could listen to it. Oh yeah, let's it. do that. But cut, then, cut, cut but all then that. I, I was like, I actually just want to listen to Patrick. Cut, cut, cut all that, please. <laughs> just edit it in. It's a podcast. Why am I doing this live? <laughs> Excellent. Oh well, it's there now. Alrighty, now that we've listened to that delightful performance, let's uh, let's edit in some actual footage from the game. So here is the uh, terrible bit that Patrick was describing before his excellent rendition. I've been waiting for you, friends. Goldman, do you know what you're doing? I'm fully aware of what I'm doing. Can't you see? Man committed a sin, disturbing the life cycle of nature. The original sin that man is responsible to. To protect the life cycle. I have made a creature to rule over mankind. This is the final battle. Show yourself. Our new ruler, the Emperor. I am. So I think a big reason that it does work um, is that the 
concept of this game as a game where you run around typing to kill zombies is actually in law accurate in this game. Like the characters run around with a Sega strapped to their back and a keyboard strapped to their front. Like in all the cutscenes, you see that, right? That's my favorite thing in the whole game is the little keyboard and they're like the lasers are coming out of the keyboard yeah. as they type. So the story, it's not just that it's so bad that it's good. It's that the very concept of this game is so ridiculous <laughs> that having a ridiculous story and presentation actually gels with the game thematically this this isn't trying to be a super scary zombie shooter the people are running around shooting zombies with keyboards yeah it's super campy like fun right yeah so it's really because it's leaning so hard into that the terrible story actually works well and the terrible voice acting actually works well and it forms a cohesive atmosphere I just wonder, because I agree with you that it's cohesive. I'm like, is 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 it really just bad voice acting? Or surely this is on purpose, right, to some extent? Oh, I think so. And I, I mean, the very fact that the... If you look at all the words that are typed out in English, they're all... There's a lot of wordplay in there and there's a lot of cleverness, a lot of jokes, yeah. So they they absolutely approach this typing of the dead game as satire as as something to have a lot of fun with so a hundred percent it's intentional yeah and i I wanted to highlight the 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 actual quotes that they give you because the comedic element to them i don't want to understate it's like like during the gameplay this is like my favorite part of the game is there were so many times where i made a mistake typing a word not because it was hard because i was trying not to laugh Mm -hmm. um like there was stuff like you need to stop eating erasers <laughs> or like finger licking good stuff like that is just out of left field constantly yeah uh, so it'll be like suspicious cars salesman things like that like the, it's not just random words it is phrases and plays on phrases D did you ever get the alien spelling power up no there's there's a power up you can get which basically just fucks all of the spelling of every single word so it's like how it would sound if it was literally pronounced like almost phonetically but you have to type it and it just leads to instant failure it's it's awful but the very inclusion of that power up shows that they decide like they had to purposefully misspell a bunch of words for the existence of this power up which is cool, right? Yeah, and there was a yeah. couple that tried to trick you with, by using homonyms. Like, it's like he knows too much, but it's like N-O-S-E knows yep. for some reason. And it would always get me. Um, I, I really liked it. I think this game's comedic aspect is like one of its strong suits. And it definitely, you know, feeds in both from the dialogue and the shitty story. Um, but also, you know, just the gameplay um, and it's kind of rare, I find, for comedy elements in video games to feed primarily from the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay as opposed to, you know, cutscenes or dialogue between missions, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, I can't even think of one example where, you know, most of the funny stuff is just the gameplay, maybe like Surgeon Simulator or something like that. Um, the one that comes to mind is probably Undertale because a lot of the gameplay is um is like dodging funny looking attacks and figuring out the puzzle of how to you know laugh at enemies jokes and things like that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but you you're right. It is it is very rare. 
I do really want to emphasize this because one of the things I love to highlight on this show is when we discover games that are enjoyable on the basis of old design principles that have kind of been dropped. And this isn't exactly that, but it's kind of similar. Voice acting nowadays is a professional industry. There are people whose entire livelihoods are their voice acting. And I love good voice acting. When you play a game with good voice acting, it does so much for immersion. But what that means is that we don't have actively bad voice acting in new games anymore. It just doesn't really happen. So you can't experience the wonders of awful voice acting unless you play an old game like Typing of the Dead. And I just think that's a really cool thing. One of the reasons to go back and play this game is to experience a form of unique comedy that basically will not exist in any modern game you play today because voice acting is a professional industry. Yeah, just like how you can't really truly experience the wonders of really special control schemes unless you go back and play ape escape one (laughs) (laughs) exactly although uh the verdict is a bit more mixed on the value of ape escapes control scheme some people love that control that control scheme by the way (laughs) it's great (laughs) yeah i mean definitely a weird implementation but i i mean yeah and i just think that's a cool thing to note you know i think cheesy horror flicks have bad voice acting all the time on purpose to be honest Uh, (laughs) this is on another level trust me yeah this is on another level (laughs) even compared to those uh those schlocky those schlocky you know b horror flicks this is on another level this is a c or d horror flick Mm. something i wanted to talk about just briefly um was kind of like the structure of the game and how well it ports to um because this was originally an arcade game right um and last Mm -hmm. time we played an arcade game that was ported to pc with mushihime sama a few episodes ago um, you had this big issue with the game where you basically had to play the game from the start every single time mm-hmm. um, because of its nature as an arcade game. Whereas Typing of the Dead, I think, is a lot closer to what you were talking about on that episode where it lets you basically play any level from the start. Um, so, you know, if you come back to it later, you can start on, you know, the third level or whatever, except for the very last mission, which you need to beat the second last mission and then beat it in one go um which i think is fine i think i think the way it works is you have to finish the mission in order to replay it right okay yeah so so for most of the, most of your playthrough you know you'll often get choke pointed on that final mission so once you finish that final mission you can then select any mission yeah sure um, and I think that's a fine way to do it. Having the very last mission require a bit more effort is fine to me if the rest of the game is so accessible. Um, there's a lot of the elements to like the scoring and the power-up system that I think probably worked better in an arcade system. Um, I didn't really pay too much attention to the power-ups in the levels. Uh, other than when I got, you know, like a dictionary that significantly changed what I was getting or, you know, maybe um, something that did a bit of damage, but I used them maybe twice ever. Um, I think you lose a bit of the gameplay when you, you know, play it in this format that we did. 
I, I think um I think the Mushihima-sama comparison is actually a really good one. And I was trying to figure out what it was that worked for me structurally about this that didn't work for that game. And I think that your first, what you were saying before is relevant. But the other big thing is that I think that Typing of the Dead is immediately engaging from the beginning and it's engaging regardless of what level you're playing. So the problem with Mushimasama is that on the easier difficulties, the real challenge of that game is not getting hit. It's not so much about skillfully killing the enemies in front of you. Even though there is a bit of that, your bullets are going to kill everything, you know, regardless of where you are on the screen or at slightly different speeds, depending on where you are on the screen. When I'm playing Typing of the Dead, I'm trying to type perfectly accurately and I'm trying to type quickly. And I think that I found that, I guess, moment-to-moment gameplay of typing a lot more engaging and with different levels of... uh, different, like, degrees of success, depending on how well I execute it, straight from level one. So I can replay level one and two of Typing of the Dead trying to hit perfect accuracy and um, perfect speed in a way that engages me a lot more than just not getting hit on Mushihima-sama. Yeah, I think there's more to it than that too. So one thing I think is important is that the levels are semi-randomized, so um, Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel as repetitive as quickly when you replay a level just because... You know, it doesn't really matter what's visually happening on screen, whether you're opening a door and seeing a zombie, you know, it, it's all blurs together. But the, because the actual words and what you're like frantically trying to type is constantly changing, for, you know, you can play the same level multiple times and not get bored very easily. Um, the second thing I think is that this is not something that I've really encountered before in a video game, but typing of the dead uses a skill that's relevant to real life um, as its primary point of gameplay. So, you know, and like for me, typing accurately and quickly is something that I've felt, you know, pride for in the past already. So I'm already kind of invested in the gameplay of this game before I've started the first level. Whereas I think normally when you start a new game, you need to play through a few levels and then you know, if the game really grips you, you're like, oh, I really like this game. And then, you know, there's this drive to replay the levels and improve. Whereas with this game, I was engaged and on board and invested in my progress and ability to get better right from the get-go because it uses, you know, my real typing skills to play the game. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Like, we've never done a typing game before. You and I are amateurs of the typing game genre you could say but in a way we are experts because we've been typing and touch typing for most of our adult lives so we've come in with this enormous amount of expertise and we're having that expertise tested in an interesting way so i'm i'm quite curious what this game would be like for someone who doesn't know how to touch type and actually had to learn how to touch type because I have a feeling this game would tear them to shreds. Like the baseline <laughs> level of skill, it seems, that is required to progress through the game seems, or Relatively I guess, a bit, 
maybe not progress through the game, I guess get pleasure from succeeding at the game seems quite high. And I think you're I think you're completely right, James. The fact that you and I are already typists made this game kind of intrinsically attractive to us. Yeah, exactly. Um yeah, it's interesting. Last week I was wondering, because this game is quite old, if uh modern players who have been typing their whole life on keyboard would find it like a breeze. Um, but, you know, I quickly realized that this game was supposed to be a quarter muncher. So it's still quite challenging at times. Um, and it does try to throw you for a loop with its gameplay. Like, I think one of the things that I still struggle with even now is when it starts throwing heaps of punctuation at you. I realized yeah. very quickly that I always look at my keyboard when I go to do an apostrophe or like a hyphen or something like that. And there'll be these sentences. Quotation marks. Yeah, that have like multiple hyphens and commas and stuff like that. And I would always screw those up. Yeah, I and that's actually something I want to really jump into in a deep way in a second, James, um, because this game has dynamic difficulty. But uh, before we do, what about we cut to a music break? What did you think of the music, James? It was there. That's that's my opinion of the music. Uh, what, are you serious? It, it kind of, like, it fit the game. I didn't love it, I guess. I, I love this music. I thought okay. it was fantastic. Like, I really got into it. In fact... Whenever the music started, it really hyped me up. I it does it does the thing that Mushi Himasama does where they because the game is on rails, they can do a lot to sync up the music to the action. So every time there's like a civilian encounter or a cutscene, they get an opportunity to like reset the music to a point where as you begin the music kicks in. It does that all the time, and I think that it does a fantastic job of this. Playing through this game, the music was an important part of the experience and the atmosphere for me. Okay, I found it to be... They use the same tracks through every level, I thought. Uh, I noticed for the a bosses, lot... For the bosses, they reuse the same track over and over again. Yeah, um, so it got a bit repetitive for me. I mean, I never... I don't dislike the music. I thought it was fine and fitting. Um, although I do agree with you how dynamic it is kind of makes it like the value of us just playing one of the songs from start to finish because uh, I don't think it just start the song just starts at the beginning of the level and then ends because there's multiple like routes through levels so mm -hmm. it kind of needs to change a bit um, depending on what's happening and I thought that it did do that quite well uh, yeah you kind of you're right that they do the dynamicness of it is good, but the tracks were just whatever to me, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm surprised. I really liked it. I think that uh, it does. It's basically this interesting blend of kind of more electronic guitar music mixed with some choir and you know organs, gothic music, which works really well for the game because you need a little bit of gothic stuff in there. For the zombies but then the concept of you know i guess the the guitar and everything really hypes you up as you're blasting your way through the levels by striking keys and i just thought that you know every every time i played through this game it was with my headphones on and i was really getting into the vibe of the game so 
a bit disappointed you didn't enjoy it as much as I did, James. But I, I love this soundtrack. I think it's fantastic. So did you have a favorite? Yeah, I think um I think we'll start with chapter one's music because that's that's where it all starts and that's where I really um got into it. I, I will I will say that the boss music being reused over and over again is not enjoyable. And it's an incredibly short looping track, so it gets irritating. But Outside of that boss music, I loved it a lot. So this is uh, chapter one. That was chapter one, and before we went to our music break, Patrick, we were talking about... Dynamic difficulty. Hmm, now we've uh, we've experienced this once before in Max Payne, um, and when we saw it there, I hated it. I thought it was the worst thing ever. Um, it felt like it was just the game was trying to kill me. I actually didn't mind it as much here. Like, I found Ooh. that it Ooh. made... Because it, I never felt that the levels got too ridiculous like only in the last level did it start getting too ridiculous but for the most part of the game i found that the dynamic difficulty did let me you know have a constant level of engagement that was increasing um and until you know eventually it would overwhelm me but you know i didn't hate it as much as i did in max pain because i find it less noticeable here like in max pain if you have you know, a gun and you're killing enemies in like two shots and then suddenly they're taking six shots to kill. It's like, it's like extremely jarring and noticeable and frustrating because you can't like plan anymore because suddenly, you know, all your plans are ruined because people didn't die when you thought they would. Whereas here, I didn't really mind just having different sentences appear that were a bit longer or a bit, you know, harder. When when they started abusing you with punctuation, that was a that was when it got a bit a bit rough. But you know, uh, I didn't like. I I wouldn't say I liked its inclusion here, but I didn't dislike it. Like it was just there for me, I guess. Whereas for me, I absolutely hated it, and I would say far and away this is the worst part of the game. 
Okay. I um I've been thinking about this a lot over the last few weeks. I think dynamic difficulty is basically only ever very rarely a good thing. And I think that it's far, far better to have set difficulty settings than it is to have dynamic difficulty. The problem is the game is basically forcing you, un- unless unless your skill is literally in the top 1%, the game is eventually forcing you into a, a state where you can't win, where your skill can't actually reach to meet the challenge. So you're being actively punished for doing well. Compare this to a set difficulty where you're roughly around that set difficulty. You have a specific challenge that you need to overcome that when you overcome it, you feel a sense of elation because you've beaten the difficulty of the game. In this game, you just get frustrated because the game gets hard to the point where you cannot beat it. And then you lose a life or you have to use a continue and the game throws baby three-word phrases for you for a while. I, I, I guess my problem is, James, is that I don't understand the value to the player of using this system over using set easy medium hard very hard difficulties i think the only reason it's in here is because this was a quarter munching game i don't think there's actually a good reason for it to exist yeah it's interesting because the levels do get progressively harder you know already baseline yeah yeah um but it it kind of does mean you can play the very first level and it get to a point that's engaging towards the end um, if you're pretty good at it. Because when I went back and played the first level after playing the later ones for a while, the start was very easy for me, like just so easy. It's a bunch of two-letter, three-letter phrases, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, and then like even like mid-level, it was really easy. And then suddenly it started getting like, you know, a reasonable challenge towards the end. And if it didn't have that, you know, but... I guess maybe there needs to be just a flat setting that lets you bump the difficulty up. Yeah, just just play on very hard, and then it, and then it gets harder. So I did think of a couple of instances of dynamic difficulty which were justifiable. So the one that comes to mind that you and I both supported was Burnout Three. So Burnout Three is an example uh, has rubber banding, and rubber banding is kind of an example of um, of adaptive difficulty where the enemy where the other car catches up to you yeah. no matter how fast you go. But it's kind of subverted in Burnout 3 because you want the car to be close to you for combat. And then the other game I thought of was Metal Gear Solid Five, because in that game, the game will react to your play style. Like if you always do missions at night, the enemies will get night vision goggles. If you go for a lot of headshots, the enemies will start wearing helmets. I don't know if that's actually difficulty i guess it seems more like a mechanic to make you change your play style and experiment rather than it challenging you more yeah you you could say it is kind of doing that i mean you're you're having to change your tactical approach yeah and the game is harder because of it it's just harder in specific ways All, all of that's to say that there are i'm just saying there are some because the question I, I had was like, are there any grounds under which dynamic difficulty is ever going to be better than not having it? And I think that the answer is yes, there are. But for the most part, it's an awful system. And it I really, really dislike it. And it really kind of uh, soured my experience trying to, you know, really challenge myself and do repeat runs on this game. Because I think that 
it's just frustrating getting blocked by these absurd words and phrases. It'll do stuff like it'll throw a word at you that you don't even know how to spell because it's some esoteric 14-letter word. And it's like, what what are you meant to do, James? Uh, I mean, it's on screen. You can see how it's spelled. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> easier said than done. Yeah. Well, on, on that note, James, I found for me, because I couldn't really do that. I wasn't like looking at each of the letters in the word and then typing the letters. I'd see a word like broken perfumer and then I would just type in that word from because I knew how to spell the word broken perfumer. Yeah, I found when I could do that, when I could recall it from muscle memory, I would get the words more accurate a lot more. There were definitely times where I had to pay attention to letter by letter. Um, I found my accuracy was a lot less than I thought it was um, going into this game, um, and it, I think it dramatically increased after playing for a few hours. Mm. Um, like One of the things about the scoring that I like is that it... Um, if you type a key wrong, you don't like take damage or lose a life. It just kind of resets your combo, like your scoring multiplier. Um, and if you can, you know, perfectly type words for long enough, you get items and a bigger high score. Um, and I found that I was breaking my combos like constantly, especially when like a bunch of zombies jump out of nowhere and you like frantically like trying to fix the word. <laughs> yeah, because what it'll do is sometimes there'll be three zombies on screen with three phrases and you have to choose the order in which you type them. Especially if there's like an NPC that's getting attacked by multiple zombies, you kind of have to... Uh, you know, figure out which is the one that's more important to kill, or like if there's two zombies throwing knives at you, sometimes you'll be typing a long sentence, a knife will start flying, and then you have to press escape to cancel out, because once you start typing a word, it kind of like locks you into that word, so if there's two words on screen, um, and you type, you know, the first letter of one of the words, you'll see like your target over that word, and then it'll interpret any key press as being for that word until you and press it needs to work that way because otherwise you'd be you know yeah, you press an h no and sense. then yeah the other word would start with h yeah yeah but if you press escape you can cancel out of the word for no penalty and then quickly press because the knives will have like a single letter that you need to disarm yeah it puts you in this um in this spot where you you basically are given a difficult choice. You have to either finish typing the word or escape out of it. And sometimes you'll just be frantically trying to get the last few letters in so that you can deal with the axe flying towards you. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I think the game did a good job of um, varying up the gameplay like that. Like it had the knife throwing. What my favorite part of the game, gameplay wise, is I think it's like the third boss, which is. It's like a pop quiz. It'll ask yeah. you a question and then there'll be three words, like three possible choices and you have to type the correct one. Um, and the game will try to trick you like with the wrong answer all the time. Like very simple questions. Like it'll be like, which one of these has legs? But you're under so much time pressure that you have to like look at the look at the question look at the three words on screen figure out the answers to the question and then type in the correct answer and doing that all in like the space of three to five seconds is quite hard even if the answer even if the question is really simple yeah uh i got the, i got them wrong all the time uh, there was this one that i it was like what do you do before bed and the answer was like drink a glass of milk 
but I typed order food. <laughs> order food. <laughs> <laughs> like this is bullshit. That's what I nice, do before James. bed. You're, you're you're getting your terrible eating habits are being yeah. exposed. <laughs> uh, so my favorite boss fight was the magician, which is the um the boss at the end of chapter five. And the magician's mechanic in um in stage one is the most difficult one in the game, I think, and I'd lose the most lives here, which is that if you type its words inaccurately, you lose a life. So yeah. you have to get it perfect. And this whole time you've been kind of conditioned to understanding that you can be a bit sloppy with the way that you type because it doesn't matter. Like if you miss a keystroke, it doesn't matter. So you're very conditioned for speed. And then the magician comes along, and even though his words are a bit easier, the fact that you have to type everything perfectly is so stressful and so <laughs> different to everything else that it it's the most challenging part of the game, I think. Yeah, I found that one challenging. Um, I, I, I don't think... It's like the gimmick isn't fun enough for me to love it that much. Um, mm. It's better than something like... I didn't really like the second boss because its gimmick is that it has like a weak point that closes... Um, and when the weak point's closed, it stops letting you type. But there's no, like, penalty for typing during that period. It just doesn't count for anything. I felt like if it closed and then you typed, you should take damage or something. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't great. And some of these bosses are better than others. But I think that they were different enough given the length of the game. Yeah. Like, there's also the strength boss, which is just the guy chasing you with a chainsaw. And you have to type, like, long sentences, <laughs> long sentences of, really of quick. dirty limericks and or, you know, just uh, things that seem like they're yeah, dirty I, but are actually innocuous. Quite, yeah, quite I liked funny. that boss because all of the sentences formed, like, a continuous story almost. Always, it, it was a joke. Pretty, every single one of them was a was was a joke with a punchline, which I thought was quite good. I, I think a lot of the reason we don't find it so repetitive is probably two reasons. One that you cited earlier, which is that the game is is made less repetitive by the fact that whenever you play it, you're typing in different words and phrases, right? So yep. regardless of what's happening on screen, you have that differential when you repeat it. But also, the game is one hour long. Like it's it's a short game, so it doesn't it doesn't overstay its welcome. If this game was ten hours long, it would not have anywhere near the content to not feel like you're doing the same things over and over. With this short, snappy playtime, it doesn't get old. And like I said, I, I played this game several times over over this past fortnight. Yeah, I never got sick of it either. I it's it's like a really easy game to just pick up and play because the levels aren't long they're like well like eight ten minutes at most yeah five to ten minutes yeah yeah, at a level yeah and i don't know it's just good good enjoyable fun that tests a skill that you know i care about or i like um and i was you know and i'm glad that like when you feel progress in this game you feel you're typing more accurately like it feels good on you know that other level as well other than just you know being good at the video game so yeah, this game was really fun, Patrick. <laughs> I, I think that the other area I wanted to touch on briefly is aesthetics, because I do think that the... I think this is the weakest the, part of the game, actually. Well, th there's two parts of it, one of which I think is really weak and one of which I think is really strong. And I, I think that we should probably start with the weaker part, James, which I assume is just like the brown, endless brownness of the city streets and the sewers and the catacombs. Visually, it's uninteresting and it all blends together in a way like 
all of the the coloration is very like desaturated and brown uh like you said the environments are like you go through the town and then a waterway and you go underground but it's still all the coliseum which is also brown (laughs) yeah and i think the enemies could have had more like they could have looked more visually entertaining i felt like i thought that this game basically like a rail shooter you kind of need to make these environments look interesting and exciting and i think one of the parts of the gameplay that i liked the the idea of the branching paths was hurt by this because when we did star fox 64 there was this element of the game where you could see these branching paths in the levels and you kind of you wanted to figure out how to get down these paths because you know some of them were visually interesting some of them you just wanted to see another level i never really cared about which path i was getting because they never made the alternate paths look exciting like i never missed a path and was like huh how do i get down there because it all just blended together i guess i felt like this this could have been something that was could have been a lot more enjoyable that's that's a great point Yeah, in Star Fox, you get to go to the lava planet. In this, you get to go through a different corridor, you know, a different part of the sewers. Instead of going down this part of the sewers, you go down this part. And uh, I completely agree. Uh, This game is ugly as hell. Um, The part which I wanted to, I guess, praise the aesthetics, or it's not just aesthetics, but it's the tactile feel of doing the keystrokes and actually killing the zombies. I think that in addition to the to the music being fantastic and something that I vibed with a lot. I think that the decision to make every single keystroke a bullet, every single missed keystroke a miss, and every single keystroke have a visual flare shooting a bit of flesh off the zombie is a large reason why this game feels so fantastic to play. Because when you type in abstract image to kill a zombie, every single letter is a bullet. And the faster you type, the faster you're machine gunning down that zombie. And I think that just the tactile feel, like even if we take out like the gameplay mechanics, the tactile feel of murdering a zombie with, you know, 15 keystrokes is fantastic. And it's pretty much just an aesthetic thing. So even though the environments are boring as anything, the actual murdering of the zombies and how that feeds into the gameplay, I think is absolutely yeah it's a really important part of the experience and i think gameplay wise something that was a great addition um is that every six or so i think that's what it was when i looked it up correct keystrokes kind of stuns the zombie so if you're really fast you can kind of like you know buy time especially with the longer sentences and i think that this inclusion actually for me is what made the adaptive difficulty not that annoying because even if the sentences got longer i still had this you know six key safety net that would allow me to keep them stunned if i was accurate um rather than it feeling like i just had less and less time before i'd get hit um it and that to me emphasized typing accuracy um more so than speed which i think was interesting I think that works to it works to a degree until you start getting two zombies on yeah. the screen at once. Because then even if you're stunning the other zombie, you need to kill the zombie and move on yeah. to the next one in yeah. order to not take damage. So when you get one of those real long words, you're just 
or you know impossible punctuation that you need to type in five seconds you're just yeah it was particularly bad when there was throwing knives um that was like the one section of the game where the adaptive difficulty really annoyed me because it makes those sections close to impossible sometimes especially if there's a melee enemy most of the time there isn't and you can just you know cancel the knives as they appear but yeah I agree on the whole, though. It feels really good because of the sound effects and the flesh flying off the the zombies as you type. Really important part of the gameplay. I just wish it looked a bit nicer. <laughs> I think the keyword is more interesting. Yeah. If we had, if each one of those levels was visually distinct, like at least the final level, which is you know in a corporate building, looks different from any other level in the game. Like it looks different. There's a bit with a laboratory. You go into the lobby, like I can remember the bits from from that level a lot more clearly than I can literally the rest of the game. Yeah, the the middle part of the game is a huge blur to me because I remember the start, the first two levels because I did the most times just for fun, and then the mm-hmm. middle ones because the first few levels were easier. I was like, it's more likely that I could get a perfect score on these, um, and then if I wanted the challenge, I could just play the later levels, and then I didn't really touch the middle ones that much. Although I did replay um the third level a couple times just because i liked you know the pop quiz section but uh that yeah. that monster appears in the later level again so in level six yeah um do you have anything else james no there's not a, there's not a heap to this game i think it's just a pretty tight package um i'm pretty happy to go to final impressions yeah absolutely um so if it hasn't been clear already i think it should be obvious now that i loved this game i think it is absolutely superb like the the moment to moment gameplay is both engaging and and visceral in a way that very few games are the fact that every single keystroke i see i get that almost haptic feedback from it while using a mouse and key not using a mouse or using a keyboard is i clicked my letters with an on-screen keyboard (laughs) (laughs) you're a dirty clicker oh my god can you imagine (laughs) but yeah that that feel is is really really enjoyable i think that the um the wordplay and general humor of the gameplay mechanics and the absurdity of the story and voice acting are all fantastic to experience as well. The only major problem I have with this game is the adaptive difficulty. I think that outside of that, this game is pretty close to perfect. It's just a fantastic little package that as an added bonus is a great way to um to improve your touch typing uh if you enjoy typing games if you enjoy b horror stories that are ridiculously awful and enjoyable because of them check this game out you won't be disappointed it's well worth your time and i had a great time with it over the past fortnight i basically agree with everything patrick has to say about it i think typing of the dead is an excellent game um that most importantly for me it doesn't take up too much of your time. It's like very easy to get it set up and running. It's very quick to go through the levels. Um, 
the novelty is, you know, when games are based primarily around a kind of like a novelty kind of gameplay like this, I think it's a very key thing to keep the levels short and snappy um, so that it doesn't wear out its welcome. This game absolutely does that. And I really, really cannot overstate how much extra enjoyment I got out of this game because it uses a skill that I would use in my day-to-day -day life. Like, it just makes you that much more invested in the gameplay when you really do want to improve your ability to touch type. So I think that Typing the Dead is an absolutely fantastic experience. It's super quick to play. It's over in about an hour. I, you know, if you have any interest in the game, absolutely go for it because, you know, it's abandonware. It won't take up too much of your time. Um, and every moment I spent of this game was very fun and very enjoyable. So, um, you know, 10 out of... So, you know, a huge recommend for me. This is a really, really fun. Yeah. How, how, can I ask you, James, how did you end up going um, score-wise at the end of each mission? Because I was getting, after a lot of practice, I could get to rank one in the earlier levels. And then weirdly, level four and five, I could get rank I one as well I could not get sometimes. that high. I'm too slow. Um, and my ability to hit um, apostrophes. Yeah. Also, I got a new keyboard, yeah. like the week before we got this game and i'm still getting used to it which is my you know cope excuse <laughs> so have you gone back to mechanical keyboards no actually i went away from mechanical keyboards because i <sighs> realized that after i've been typing for a while i stopped noticing the mechanical feel which is obviously so much nicer than membrane but for me the thing that lets me type for long periods of time without getting you know, any soreness is like how flat I can rest my hands. You know, if mechanical keyboards are a lot taller than membrane or, you know, scissor switch mm. keyboards because they need that extra space. So I find the angle on my wrists is a bit higher. And after like a few hours of doing that, it really starts to hurt. Whereas with this new keyboard I've got, it's like, it's so flat, barely comes off the desk. Um, and I can type on it for hours with no issue whatsoever. So that's the main thing for me. It doesn't feel as nice as the mechanical keyboards, obviously, but, uh, you know, much more sustainable. And I barely notice the, the key feel after a few minutes. I will say that if there's one game that you play that would be nice on a mechanical this one? keyboard, it is <laughs> yeah. this one. Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> this one because the tactile feel of striking the keys and having them correspond to a bullet just feels fantastic. So um, I, I get you. You need to, you know, not get hand cramps or whatever. But um, yeah, if, if you have a mechanical keyboard, this game's going to be bumped up even an, another notch in terms of enjoyment. Um, so yeah, thank you everyone for listening to us talk about Typing of the Dead. Um, you can find all of our content uh, over on our website, which is rspodcast.net. It's got every single episode we've done, so which is now at 83, as well as a bunch of articles that James and I have written not too long ago. I finally, after, you know, talking about forever, published my Pathologic article. Very difficult game to talk about because no matter how much you write about it, you feel like there's always something left unsaid. But, I, but if you want to get a more, I guess, balanced view on Pathologic, uh, I, I reckon it's uh, I reckon it's well worth your time. Um, yeah, uh, most importantly, on our website, we've got all of our social media links, but also our Discord server link. And our Discord server is where we 
would love to have a conversation with you. That's where we do most of our community interaction. Um, it's a chance for you to recommend games to us, to talk about what games you're playing or what old games you're playing. And we'd love to talk to you and hang out with you because, you know, James and I lo- love talking about video games. It's why we started this show. So we'll put a link to it in the show notes and we'd love if you would drop by and say I'd love if you came by and told Patrick he was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I get I get a lot of that already, James. Uh, I, I keep getting articles dropping in on my Luna article um, every every week. It feels like now, and um, not not many of them are They're positive. All so negative, it's so great, and I always <laughs> get because we both share that mailbox. Um, I always like I'm at work and I get this notification on my phone, and then I just get to sit there <laughs> listening about this guy's rant about how Patrick is so wrong. <laughs> it's so funny, oh, man. It's and then I get to respond to it, and I assume you get yeah. another notification. It's good. It's good, yeah. I don't think there's any other article on the website that has... Oh, there's a couple of episodes with a bunch of comments, but that one has the most by far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so so please come come join our Discord server. Um, and if you want to tell me why I'm wrong, I'd love to hear it, but I will respond in kind. <laughs> Uh, so, so next fortnight, James. So we're doing, uh, th- this one, we're not strictly doing, I guess, a game of your choice. Although I know it's a game that you've wanted to play for a while. We're playing Diablo 2 and we're playing Diablo 2 with a guest. It's another guest episode. We're having on Shane from the Retro Hangover podcast. So these guys have been going since 2015. So once again, we're stretching back to veterans of the podcasting scene and their concept is um, they play an old retro game and then they sit down and they have a discussion about it. They don't have the same, I guess, level of harsh criticism that we do a lot of the time. Sometimes they do. There are some games that they've absolutely hated. But um, we're going to have to get uh, get Shane used to our very mean way of talking about video it's, games. It's going to be hard. Um, we'll be doing Diablo 2. This is a big game that I've wanted to do for a while. Finding this time for it has been challenging. but. Like, I like ARPGs, or at least the idea of a lot of them, um, and I've always wanted to, like, do a review of this game because it's a very, like, influential game in the genre in a lot of ways, and I think there's lots of ways that, you know, because when we did Diablo 1, I think Diablo 1 is a very different game um, to modern ARPGs, which, you know, most of them are sequels or spiritual successes or, you know, um, fan games that are based on Diablo 2 rather than 1. And I think that's going to be very interesting to talk about, like what games have done, like taken from 2 specifically, um, and what, you know, 2 maybe doesn't do so well anymore. Uh, So yeah, very excited for this one. It's like, I'm kind of invested in the genre, so have a lot to talk about. It is absolutely fascinating how Diablo 1 was obviously, you know, the first game and it, but Diablo 1 isn't the game that set the blueprint for what an ARPG should resemble, which is what I think StarCraft 2 did. StarCraft do. 2. Sorry, StarCraft 2. <laughs> My <God> favorite <laughs> ARPG. <laughs> <laughs> which is what I think Diablo 2 did do. I think Diablo 2 is the one where if you look at um if you look at the ARPG clones that emerged in the wake of Diablo 2, whether it's Torchlight or Titan Quest or fate like they all look to diablo 2 for inspiration and what diablo 1 did i guess the restraint and simplicity of diablo 2 was 
was dismissed as, uh, I guess, as being a lesser version of what Diablo 2 offered. Whereas I think after playing Diablo 1, it was just offering a different a different vision. I actually think Torchlight 1 is very similar to Diablo 1 in a lot of ways. Interesting. See, I would say Torchlight 1 is still Diablo 2-esque. But certainly there's more of an emphasis on, I guess, your tactical movement through the level. Yeah, it's also about a game about going down through dungeons as opposed to lots of big open fields, I guess, is how I feel. Yeah, that's true. There's less of that open world feel. And I think Diablo 3 is going to come into the discussion as well. So I've got to reinstall that and give it another run through. I wonder how much it's changed because I played Diablo 3 on release. Yeah, when we did Diablo 1, I reinstalled 3 and then I played like two levels and was like, ugh, I hate it. (laughs) I just don't like the way (laughs) the character customization is structured. Yeah, whereas I fucking love the way yeah. it's structured. But, you know, this this will be a discussion for us to continue uh, next fortnight on our Diablo 2 episode. So um, we'll see you there. We're having a guest from the Retro Hangover podcast. We'll chuck a link in the in the show notes to his show as well. It's it's a good one. I, um, I've listened to several of the episodes now and I enjoy their discussions. So, yeah, until next time, thanks for listening, guys. Adios. Adios.